Welcome to Leaders in Conversation, a series in which I, Annie Townend, talk with leaders about their inspirational stories, about who and what made them, who they are and why they do what they do. In this episode, I'm delighted to be in conversation with Dawn Whitaker. Dawn is Chief Fire Officer of the East Sussex Fire and Rescue Service in the UK. She's committed to serving the public and helping to keep people safe. Welcome, Dawn. Hi, Annie. Lovely to have you in Leaders in Conversation. Dawn, I'd like to start by asking you, when and how did you become passionate about safety and raising awareness, not only of fire safety, but also water safety? I was born and brought up on a farm. And and I think, you know, one of the common things that you're taught as a youngster on a farm is what not to do and what to do. Um, with some pragmatism, of course. Um, so fire safety, uh, not so early, but certainly around chemicals and animals and all that sort of stuff. Um, water safety um, sort of probably started, apart from the usual sort of swimming lessons, um, but at the age of 16, I had what you'd classify as a near drowning experience. So I was rescued from water and I became uber conscious of how easy that was. And, you know, I'd done all my swimming badges. I'd got, you know, the Kellogg's cornflakes uh, thing sewn onto my towel. So that really spiked my interest. For a while, actually, it put me off swimming, um, if I'm honest with you. Um, And it was uh, the experience I had was swimming outside in a river, open water swimming. But, you know, there's a whole story which I might touch on later on as to, you know, how you can use I think um, experiences in life to shape what you do um, uh, and bring that to, uh, to to the fore to help other people. I was away from home. I was a student. I kind of realised early on that I was going to be the one that made sure that the door was locked and that we'd got a fire blanket and all those things were in place. And my early career was in John Lewis's, um, John Lewis Partnership. Um, I When I graduated, I went to work for them on their graduate scheme and um, I'll never forget a session I was away on an outward bound course with somebody who's now a good friend um, Gabby and um, we were in a strange place I became acutely conscious that we'd been sort of left in these dorms and nobody talked us through the fire escape so I decided to do that I walked around I sussed the building I read the fire evacuation notice and um, everybody went to dinner and before they we got back in to settle for the night. I went, right, I think we should have a, uh, we should just run through the fire practice drill so everybody knows. Well, apart from the fact that I think they all thought I'd lost the plot, um, I then became known on the rest of the, for the course as Dawn Chorus in case, um, you know, I had to wake everybody up at two o'clock in the morning because it was a fire. So, yeah, it's been a long process, I really, and uh, I suppose, through my life, but it's it's something I've been conscious of from an early age. So from growing up on the farm and being aware of the dangers of chemicals and what have you, but the experience of nearly drowning, were you yourself rescued by the fire and rescue service? No, I was actually, I was with a group of girls. We were oh, six, 17, I think. Um, we were all at college together um, and it was a hot summer's day. It was in a place called Flandrin Dodd Wells um, in Wales and um in a in a river that had some fairly deep pools and some sort of fairly rapid moving water as well it's a hot summer's day so we all to go for a swim 
and I got my foot stuck um, in a very deep pool in what I now know was a was a branch, a, a broken tree. Um, and I got hooked and for some reason became disoriented and couldn't get out. And it was um, they were twins. Actually, they lived in in Flindry and Dodwells, which is why we were probably all there. Um, and they really I think they thought I was messing around to start with. But um, but I think as the pitch of my voice rose, they realised that I was actually having a problem. And uh, it was Philippa that that um, that came over to my aid and pulled me out. Um, and after which I vomited rather an unpleasant amount of, of dirty river water. But um, yes, it, you know, it could have been so much worse. And of course, um, the work that I do now, um, you know, is absolutely probably born of that. Who or what else shaped who you've become today, Dawn? As I think about it, there's probably a few things. So first of all, it was a rural community in South Wales, quite a tight knit community. Um, people helped each other out. And um, and I think that sort of uh, created a bit of it's quite a strong community spirit um, in in me. My um, one grandmother was very involved in the church. She was in the choir. She was a church warden, um, and and again, you know, that sort of embodies some of that stuff. Um, always involved in the village shows, horticultural shows, and all that sort of thing. My mum was a home help. And she largely helped out, I mean, around and about the place and wherever she got an allocation. But she was um, obviously a farmer's wife, but also worked on the Kurtugotlin army camp um, in Langeni near Krikal and helped out a lot of the families in the army barracks and the headquarters there, some of who didn't know the area at all. So that that was a, a shaping thing. Um, from early days, uh, my sister and I were both brownies. Um, guides and rangers and all those sorts of things you are well frankly due to the fact that we just wanted to get off the farm for a bit of time and <laughs> and meet with other people outside of school because it was uh, that was social life frankly where I lived my grandparents huge influence I spent loads and loads and loads of, of time with my grandparents as a youngster growing up and um, both from farming communities one in Herefordshire one in South Wales quite close to us and um it's funny, as I reflect, one of my passion, I love being outdoors. It's a really important thing for me. But I'm a passionate gardener. And I was thinking the other day when I was um, putting my runner beans out, having had them in the greenhouse, um, some of the things that I was doing, um, I'd watched my grandmother do, um, which are, uh, pro probably aren't, you know, published in too many modern books, but... Um, but yeah, those things have all influenced and shaped the, the person I am, I think. Sounds like that sense of community and of family as well was very important growing up as you did in a, in a small community, but also in a farming community, despite the fact that you've mentioned your social life was about getting away from the farm. So it's not to do jobs, <laughs> frankly, yeah, having a break. Having a break. But the outdoors really speaks to you and not only in gardening, but also what I'm hearing is making the outdoors somewhere that people can enjoy at the same time as feel safe, particularly in the sea. Absolutely. And I, so I am the uh, national lead for the National Fire Chiefs Council for water safety and drowning prevention in the UK. And I was one of the co-authors of the government's or the UK strategy for drowning prevention. And that motto, which I've been pushing really hard, is how to enjoy the water safely. Because, you know, you look at the surge in the last year of people getting out onto the water, out into the countryside, just enormous. I think we've seen something like, 
you know, 70% uplift in people undertaking water sports, kayaking, stand-up paddleboarding and all that sort of stuff. Some of it with some disastrous consequences, actually. But, um, you know, sharing those messages and getting people to, to, to enjoy the outdoors and our water courses, which are beautiful, aren't they? Everybody gets well-being out of being near water. Um, getting them to enjoy that safely is a really important uh, important thing to me. And raising people's awareness to the dangers of something which is so inviting is what I get from you in reading about the work that you do and hearing you talk about it is how to absolutely have people enjoy being out there, but also having a mind to keeping themselves and each other safe. Yeah, we call we call the campaign Be Water Aware. And that's half the battle. If you're aware of the risks and you know what to do um, and you're prepared, you know, you're likely to, you know, enjoy it obviously more and have have uh, have a positive experience. And people sometimes forget, I think, the power of the water and also just how cold British water is. Um, It's great to jump on a hot summer's day, isn't it, into a cold pool, but your body will really react to that temperature differential um and just knowing that um is quite important in the uk it's not like a warm swimming pool along the south coast near where both you and i live there are quite a few outdoor swimming uh, groups who swim very early in the morning in the sea are you one of them i do outdoor swim so i will dabble in the sea but it is really cold. And um, over the years, my, my husband swims. If we go down to the sea, he, he jumps in, but um, he doesn't jump in. He walks in to acclimatise as a proper safety advice. But he will always have a swim. Um, I'm more inclined to, um, yeah, to wait for, for that. Uh, I, I, there's one um, in the south of France that I really, really like. And uh, if, ever I'm, if ever I'm having a blue moment, uh, I get pictures up on my iPad to remind me just how lovely that is. Pouvert in the Pyrenees. It's great you mentioned that because we haven't been able to travel to the places that have, for many of us, whether in the UK where we live or abroad, go places that typically would have nourished us. What have been some of the particular challenges for you leading through this pandemic, Dawn? For the most part, um, you know, the British public have been fantastic and uh, tried their best even though it's frustrating at times to um to stick to the rules and minimize minimize the spread of this virus so i think in terms of the workforce my own staff and team and colleagues making sure that we can keep them safe and well so that they're able to respond has been really important um because the last thing i wanted to happen was for us to deplete our service to the community which has kind of meant we've had to retrench a little bit um not go out as much as we would like to do, not do the station open days. We couldn't anyway for the guide, guidelines. But um, I think everybody's missed that engagement with the public, direct engagement, because it, it it's really important to who we are. But it was more critical to keep them safe and, and safe and well. And uh, for the la- largest part, and I'm touching wood as I'm speaking to you, um, we've done we've done exactly that. So our staff absence figures have been low. In fact, we've been able to help out some other agencies and we've just had eight colleagues return from driving ambulances for CCAM um, and helping them out because you know CCAM uh, the ambulance services have just been very hard hit like most health services so I think dealing with the anxiety because 
you know, whilst people might think firefighters and our staff are all heroes and superheroes and superhuman, do you know what? We're just people. And so people have been anxious about their families and homeschooling children and trying to look after people that have dependencies on them. Um, and for some of them, particularly our on-call firefighters who work for us, you know, they call out on a bleeper. Um, they've got other full-time jobs and for some of them they've been furloughed or they've not been working um, and that in itself has had impacts you know not only financial or economic impacts on their families but also on their well-being so we've worked really hard internally on well-being with our staff um, and different forms of communication which I'll come back to later. As a public service I think managing expectations um, trying to distill and support the local resilience forum all the guidance that's come in um, to try and make sure we're a supporting part of the um, actions and activity so lots of things like distributing PPE we've done lots of that opportunities to help fit um, and to share we've donated some PPE because we've been able to get hold of it you know, various different things but you know most critically um, Incidents have continued. They varied. We had a sort of a, a drop in some, obviously, road traffic collisions were very low in the early um, stages of lockdown. People weren't going anywhere. But garden fires were huge because all the recycling centres and waste centres were shut. So people were trying to get, get rid of their rubbish. So, you know, we did have a, a real spate of, of bonfires in the garden that got a bit out of hand. Um, and then, of course, when it lifted and people were starting to be more active and mobile in the summer last year. And we had a hot summer, didn't we? June, July, August, some really peak temperatures. Um, yeah, issues like drought. I mean, the beaches were heaving and all that brought with it its its own issues, of course. And, and we did lots of support to water rescues. So, you know, the, we're very weather dependent as a service. It dictates what we do, but um, trying to keep up with public education without having that face-to-face -face contact I think. And keeping that sense of partnership which it sounds like you've you've done through very much taking to heart public service in all shapes and, and sizes. What drew mm. you to, to public service? I spent my my first 14 years of my leadership career in John Lewis's department stores yeah um, so yeah private private sector but I think it, John Lewis has an interesting ethos, or at least it did. I don't work, obviously I haven't worked there for quite a while, so I couldn't say how it's changed. But it was very, very much about quality of leadership, um, looking after your staff, quality of customer service when I was there. So probably less cutthroat than some of the other private sector organisations. And so you know, what really mattered to me was a high, was quality, quality of service, quality of staff and all, all that sort of thing. So maybe the transition into the public sector wasn't so dramatic. What was probably dramatic, I went to work for a county council um, to start with. And I don't mean to offend anybody that works in a county council, but having worked in quite a pacey environment of a department store um, and changing seasons and, you know, uh, seeing people frontline and customers directly, I found working in a county council officer, yeah, a bit frustrating. Things were slow to get done. There seemed to be lots and lots of processes um, 
And so initially that was quite hard to adapt to. And I was missing that cut and thrust, that direct line contact with, with, our, with our public, with the customer. And so when I was offered the chance to second and support the Fire and Rescue Service, which was obviously part of the County Council, it's not, it's not where I work now, um, at, back in the day, um, in 2004, um, I jumped at the chance and, um, and I was supposed to be there on a six month secondment uh, and I've now been in the sector for 17 years. So I don't know what that tells you, but it obviously met both my needs for something a bit more thrusty, dynamic and also with the right sort of values in terms of community. The story you told about going on the Outward Bound course and you were the person looking out for the fire safety instructions for the exits and uh, having a, a fire drill. So you were naturally meant for this role and for leading in this way. Who have been some of the, along the way, who have been some of the, the other role models, Dawn, and, and experiences of leadership that have shaped your leadership and, importantly, your values and beliefs? Yeah, I suppose through my career and moving from my childhood, um, I, I've been blessed, really, I think. Um, I've, got, I've got to work with some great people in John Lewis's, some really fantastic leaders, and... Um, yeah, I could I could name check them. They, they might even listen to this. You never know. But um, let's hope so. So Peter Turner was the MD of of Peterborough when I worked there. And Peter was just full of enthusiasm, relatively new to the partnership, ex-military, but um, really dynamic um, about the way he wanted to go about things and very inclusive as a leader. Um, I then worked with, um, well, people will know um, Andy Street because Andy Street went from being the um, the managing director at John Lewis's in Milton Keynes um, and rose through the ranks back into corporate centre uh, and, of course, was was a, the CEO, was a very significant post holder in John Lewis's department stores. And he is now um, the mayor um, in West Midlands. So Andy Street um, kind of had this, a similar sort of move. Well, he went into politics, um, I went into the public sector, but I think that demonstrates that there was a, there's a core ethos at the partnership that runs through into public sector. I, I've been lucky. I've worked with some great coaches. Um, Jenny, if listening, um, absolutely superstar, um, ethical leader, very much into mindfulness um, in leadership. And she works with a lady called Molly. And they did they did some work for us. I commissioned them to do some work. But I found myself being drawn to their style, um, engaging and real, you know, real desire to improve, continuous improvement. So, yeah, so I've been blessed to work with lots of people like that. And then when I came into FIRE, um, there, are, there are a few people that stick out. I mean, firstly, I probably would say David Archer who appointed me obviously had great foresight yeah <laughs> uh, without a doubt but but I think he he was interesting because um, he he'd started as a firefighter and worked his way through but he'd been involved in, um, in something that one of those experiences that again a bit like you know my potential drowning um, shape you in your life and although he wasn't directly involved but he'd seen seen what happened um and that was in herefordshire uh hereford and worcester fire and rescue service and it made him really think about 
um, how inclusive the sector was for women. And he wrote his dissertation on that and and was really always very inquiring and inquisitive when I, when I came into the service about how things were working, was the policy in the right way, uh, did, did, that, did that work? Um, and then I worked with a chap called Bruce Hode, who I think um, is one of the most committed, so passionate about the sector, but also about inclusion. Um, and, and was really accepted with sort of the, what you might call the diehard old fashioned fireman, um, but also cr was able to uh, build bridges between that and new people coming into the service. Um, and, and it was largely built on a platform of genuinely being interested in people and kindness, um, and also really inquisitive about how people's differences added value to delivery of, of the frontline service. So there's a few. Um, there, are, there are lots more. I, I work, uh, Chris Blackswell, who's the chief at Humberside, um, and who's the national lead for he for she just really great leaders um, leaders who it's a pleasure to pick up the phone and have 10 minutes chat when we can find the time um, but um, people that I'm always interested to to listen to in terms of their you know their views on on things um, TED talks I love yes. TED talks you know um, what, the, you, what you can pick up through those just short little soundbite yeah. things but actually very often you'll find a line and you'll think do you know what that really rings true for me um, and you reuse it just make sure you credit it to the person that said it <laughs> although they picked it up from somebody else probably it's all going round and around isn't it I think you actually do have one don't you called be soft on the person and hard on the issue so is that a Dawn Whitaker mantra or is that a mantra that you heard from somewhere someone else it's acquired from somewhere um and I, in my John Lewis days, but I, I can't I can't quite think of the source. But um, but we had a very strong people management framework, which was, you know, um, not only about robust training um, and looking after people, you know, very family orientated um, sort of uh, ethos. But also if somebody wasn't performing well, um, they should expect to be managed and actually if they didn't really get the principles and the ethos of John Lewis's, um, not to say that, you know, they, they weren't good, that just didn't fit, then we'd help them make decisions and, um, and, and move on. And I think that, that taught me a lot about that, that, uh, that issue. So, you know, and, and don't necessarily judge people just because they don't fit into an individual job role or an organization. Sometimes it's just about fit, not about them. And related to that fit or and to belonging, I know, and you've mentioned already the importance of inclusion, diversity and equity uh, is something you and I met around and were introduced to each other through our local community, through Karen Dobres, who is co-director at Lewis Football Club. And it would be lovely to hear your experience of bringing more inclusivity and diversity and equity into the fire and rescue service but also your experience of it dawn so when we were chatting to karen obviously that was largely about women in sport in in lewis uh in lewis women's football club which is just fantastic and if anybody has two minutes just look it up google it um that's a way to to, to manage inclusion 
Um, but for, for me in my career, you know, gosh, when I was appointed back in 2004, well, it was 2005 when the first woman was appointed to run a farm rescue service in the UK. Um, so it's really not that long ago, really, is it, when you think about it? Um, there are 46 farm rescue services and we currently have six women in charge of of farm rescue services, which is just like an astronomic um, growth, really. Um, But the reality is that that our operational workforce, so firefighters and and officers, are still about 7% of our workforce, so a very low percentage. And so there was definitely, there's definitely been a challenge to increase gender mix, but also black and ethnic minority firefighters um, and and disability to accept disability into the service, alternative ability. Um, You know, those are all issues, all the strands of inclusion, really. It's about being visible. Well, you know, I've got one of the attributes because I'll carry the genes. Um, But I think it's about increasing awareness, perhaps sometimes holding a light, uh, you know, a mirror up, but also being a visible role model. So I work hard um, to to speak up and be visible, um, as as do many others in the sector. Um, I I've done some work for the sector on neurodiversity. It's an area of personal interest, um, and getting people to think about that not only from our workforce perspective. Because let's face it, you know, more and more children now are um, being recognised in terms of neurodiverse conditions, dyslexia, dyspraxia, autism, ADHD, whatever. But all of those conditions that come under neurodiversity, different thinking styles. And if if they're being identified now, younger in school, rather than, you know, being stuck in a corner with a D on his head like my dad had, um, they are going, they're our future workforce, aren't they? And therefore, if we're not prepared as workplaces to to understand to accommodate to think about how, what value they bring then we're going to underutilize human resource so and and um you know the brilliance of difference so you know it, it's from a workforce point of view but it's also about the fact that we deliver a public service and some of some conditions on the spectrum you know um bring with them traits behaviors preferences styles whatever we want to 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 call them but that may struggle in an emergency situation loud noises you know unplanned events unpredictability which can you know create real anxiety and different behavioral patterns for 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 people so we've got to be aware of that and conscious so be interested be inquiring and and share what you learn and uh, you know the the great thing about fire and rescue services is it does give you a platform to talk about these things. That's a, an opportunity we shouldn't waste. One of the things I'm very passionate about is another kind of safety, which is helping and supporting leaders like yourself create psychological safety so that people can feel safe in order to be able to be open, to be different, to trust one another and to be able to have big conversations with each other that's really really important to me it's another kind of safety but nevertheless it's part of creating a safe environment in which everybody can enjoy each other um, as well and add value yeah 
I'm particularly interested in you mentioning neurodiversity and you said you had a particular interest in that. Is that because of personal experience or because of an awareness of the importance of that? Yeah, it's it's personal experience, close family members, current generations that have experienced it differently. We've got children in the family now, but but also adults in the family. My dad um, left school. He's a farmer. He's a farmer's son. And um, I I can't actually remember whether he got any um, CSEs or not. He had a job to do. He was leaving school and um, and education was very different and expectations were very different. And his, his life was mapped out. He was going to take over you know, the family business and he's been farming all of his life. But they also had huge gaps in their schooling because even, even when I was in school in Wales, you know, at shearing and haymaking time, you didn't see one of the boys. They were all gone. They were all working on the farm. And that was, you know, that was where they would be. Things have moved on an awful lot. Um, but yes, uh, uh, an awareness through family members but but also seeing people at work and a few people I've worked with through my career that have have struggled to be recognized for the quality that they bring because they're different and people know they're different they might not necessarily know why they think they're different but they think differently um, sometimes they interact differently with people have different levels of relationship skills but I think people can be very harsh they can judge people for that and then not look to what they really excel at. I worked with a chap many, many years ago, probably the best data analyst I have ever worked with. He was a terrier with statistics and data. And, you know, I could stake my life on the quality of piece of work that he'd done. I, I just knew it would be thorough. And he'd, he'd have gone inside and outside the problem to, to find, you know, that he'd, he'd got the best result or report. But... You know, he he was clumsy with people. Uh, he would he was black and white, and he would just say the thing that came into his mind. He didn't have a filter, um, and and everybody knew this, but I don't think anybody was thinking, well, what? Why is that? And and what what do we do to you know best support that in the workplace? And and he struggled at times. I knew he was isolated from the rest of the team because of because of that thing. Um, but um, as the years have gone by, I've understood, read into, researched, um, d- done a few research pieces and, and, and done work on, on, um, on children, accidental um, injuries with children and understood the connectivity more. Um, so, yeah, I think if you, and particularly with, with firefighters and colleagues now, if I talk about the impact for the public and how we manage that and how we'd be better as public servants, as firefighters, and then start to feed into the into that, you know, and think about your colleagues. It's kind of a good way in with firefighters because they think community rather than workplace. It gives a pathway. Mm. What you highlight there for me, Dawn, is about staying curious, you know, that we need to stay curious and to stay learning and learning about each other and that life is all about learning and raising awareness of ourselves and of each other. Thinking from the future as we come to the end of our conversation, what are some of the things that leaders in organisations like yours, but also in other kinds of organisations, what three things do you think 
we need to be thinking about that you would encourage leaders to think about? So I'll confess, you gave me a bit of time to think about this question in advance. So, um, but but bizarrely, um, my first answer is just segues beautifully from what you've just said, because I've written here, my first thing, be inquiring, <laughs> be, be constantly interested. Um, look around, you know, before you judge, think, seek out new practices and observe other leaders because you will always learn something from what they bring. Um, you know, so yeah, that's number Great. one. Great. Be inquiring. Never, Never stop, stop learning. learning. The second one I've got is get feedback, ask for it. And not in a, I'm sending you my 360, could you fill in these boxes sort of way. But often when I'm thinking about doing something at work, and it might be sending out a message into the workforce from the chief exec that, I know has got like a potential double edge to it. I will, I'll send it to colleagues and go, what do you think? How's it going to land? Do I need to not include that bit, harden that bit up, whatever else. And use other people's lenses, get feedback on stuff. Because usually the product of three minds is better than one. Usually. You might still decide to do it your way. I don't know. But, but I think it really helps. One of the things I talk about and help leaders think about more is that impact intended, impact landed. It's only through feedback that we can know how we might land with different people. We might intend one thing, but we land in a particular way with different people given their experiences. But having an idea of what might land well is a good idea. and We only get that from other people. I love that you've got that as your number two. So the third thing links back to, I guess, what we're talking about in terms of safety, uh, really. But, you know, I like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I actually like it as a principal concept, because when you're trying to change something um, or improve an organisation or maybe even just do something in your own life, um, if you don't step back and think about whether you've accommodated for the core basic psychological needs of your colleagues or um, or friends or family, do you know what? You you're probably on a hiding to nothing because you're you're not going to be able to achieve the top of the pyramid. You're not going to be able to get to that economic growth and buy people in all those sorts of things. So. Um, my third one is about that. You talked about your impact of landing. Um, we all have different styles. So I don't mind talking to anybody. I can talk hind legs of a donkey. So I don't have problems with articulating my perspective or opinion. But other people don't like words. Some people don't like written form. Actually, I like creativity. I like pictures as well. And, and I think vary, vary your delivery style. You know, don't just stick to what works for you or you find easiest because you are communicating with people not for your benefit but for theirs so even the most well-constructed speech um, or the most beautifully crafted report only lands if it's received so yeah very very your delivery method thank you 
Thank you, Dawn. That is just fantastic. Three, if not four, great <laughs> top tips. <laughs> Thank you for being in conversation today and for sharing your wisdom, your insights, and for doing such a great job of raising our awareness on so many fronts, not just on the fire and rescue service. To find out more about the great work of East Sussex Fire and Rescue Service in preventing, educating and responding to people in danger, do visit esfrs.org. To find out more about Dawn, do follow her on LinkedIn, Dawn Whitaker. To listen to other leaders in conversation, do go to my website, annietownend.com. Follow me on LinkedIn, where I post regularly and reshare articles and blogs. If you would like to be a leader in conversation, please get in touch with me on annie at annietownend.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening and thank you, Dawn. Thank you.